You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 22 of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the social media manager for the Toolstation Western League. It is Mr. James Healy. Hello, James. How are you? Very well, Ian. How are you? I'm all right. Actually, the diet is, um, I'm not sure I've lost any weight, but I am actually now feeling a lot fitter for having done some of the exercises that Mr. That Mr. Wicks, you know, put me through my paces. So, um, so I'm, I'm feeling the benefit, I think, which is good. How's your diet going? Yeah, not too bad. We're kind of fully back on it now. So no rubbish in the fridge or in the cupboards because it's too much of a temptation. So... I mean, today's lunch was uh, portobello mushrooms with a little bit of mozzarella cheese on the top with some tomato puree. So it's like a mushroom pizza, but it wasn't a pizza, really. Right. Well, I'm I've, I'm I'm a big fan of goat's cheese on a mushroom on a portobello mushroom, but I would Let's imagine that that would be that would be frowned upon in the diet circles. Yeah, I think so. Yes, actually, the end of this week is, is is something of a milestone in my diet because it's the weighing it's the weighing day. Now, in the in the past, I don't know about your experience of these things, but um, in the past, there, there's been like weekly weighings, and you have to see how much you've lost sort of on a weekly basis. And I know that, you know, the temptation's always there to check sort of halfway through the week, and that's just not how it works. So, this whole um, we 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 don't you're not supposed to weigh yourself, or and and and, and indeed take some measurements. Um, until you know, thirty days are up. So, um, um, you know, depending on how you know how good or bad the news is, I may share that with the listeners to see exactly how effective this um, this um, this diet has been. Anyway, I know that make riveting podcast um, audio. Um, the prospect of hearing that information, I'm sure. Um, on today's podcast, uh, we hear from the Portishead Town captain Nathan Truman, who we uh, we covered uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, the news of his illness, and we also hear from Martin McConaughey. Martin McConaughey is one of the Tool Station Western League's good guys. He's um, a very experienced club secretary, a man who uh, really does know his way around football administration and uh, an all-round interesting chap, both on and off the field. So uh, we'll be catching up with him as well. Um, but um, just before we get into that interview with with, uh, with Nathan, I, I, I really do need to um, to give an apology to the listeners. Th- this is in the envelope of, of good journalism. Um, that you know, when 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 people in our esteemed position, Jim, make a mistake, I think we have to put our hands up and apologise. And on last week's podcast, um, you know, listeners will remember that we we um, we talked about, of course, Bristol City legend John Neatio. And um, and during my interview with Phil Orford, I, I, I made the observation that whilst um, um, John Attio was on the books at Portsmouth, he hadn't played for them. Now, that was a mistake. He had actually played for Portsmouth on two occasions. So he had two more appearances than I do um, for Portsmouth. And I apologise for that. It doesn't change his standing as a Bristol City legend. Of course it doesn't. But um, when I get a fact like that wrong, I wanted to apologise and, 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 and put it right. Anyway, there we go. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, in the middle of um, uh, January, um, Jim and I had a chat about a tweet uh, that came out of Portishead Town Football Club, um, talking about um, the team captain, Nathan Trusey Truman, and um, and his fight uh, against uh, an aggressive tumour in his shoulder. Um, Nathan was uh, started at the time a course of chemotherapy, and, um, and the club um, got behind his push um, to raise 
um, money, not uh, not just for um, his own expenses, but also um, some very important charities as as well. Anyway, um, following that, um, Portishead got in touch with the podcast, and I was able to uh, to speak with uh, with Nathan, um, which was a real privilege. Whatever you're doing at the moment, listeners, I, I hope you will give us just 15 minutes of your time to, to listen to Nathan. He's quite an extraordinary young man, and uh, he's going through really a, a very challenging time. So I started my conversation with him by asking how he's feeling at the moment. Yeah, thank you, Ian. Thank you for having me on here as well. Um, yeah, feeling really well at the moment. Um, done my first cycle of chemo, and yeah, the, that's it, about the start of it i felt really bad to be honest but um feeling a lot better now and ready to start my second lot of chemo tomorrow so what is the name of the condition that you've been diagnosed with so i've got a uh, synovial sarcoma which is in my on my shoulder just around the armpit was where i felt it um it's a grade four um and it's very aggressive but what the doctors have said is it's very um reps very well to chemotherapy which is a very good sign so we're hoping that the chemotherapy is going to shrink it um so then we can they can operate on it for um in the future when did you first find out about the uh the lump so i first found out about it in end of september really it was just before i was going on, on holiday actually um is when i first found it and to be honest like anyone would they just ignored it. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, left it a couple of weeks and told my mum. And she said, we need to get this checked out. But still, we never thought anything of it. Even a couple of months down the line when they're doing um, tests, we still didn't think anything of it. But yeah, obviously now we know it's very, very serious. So how long, how long was it between you presenting? I take it, did you start at your GP and then, you know, taking off the yeah. tests? Yeah, so I started with the GP in October and he then referred me on to uh, the doctors in Southmead and they started, I've done many, many scans. They started with um, ultrasound and then on to MRI and further, further scans. And so, so they wanted to get a bigger picture of it. Um, I kind of knew it was more serious. There's more scans and scans went on, even though they don't tell you anything, but I knew it was getting more serious um, until they give you the final diagnosis. And when did that diagnosis come? It came on December the 14th, if I can remember. And, I mean, you must have been devastated. I mean, it, it, it's obviously, you know, it's a funny time for the, for the country anyway because of the situation with the coronavirus during the run-up to Christmas. But to, to receive news like that um, must have been very difficult for you. Oh, it's, it's, you can't actually put it into words. It's, it's heartbreaking. Um, I had my mother there with me and oh it's you you can't even des describe it it's as soon as you hear the word it's it's really yeah it's it's horrible um and it, when they first told me I couldn't even speak for about <laughs> 20 minutes I just didn't know you didn't you just never think it's you see it all over the tv and in the news but you never think it's going to happen to you you never think you think oh you're I'm healthy I'm 20 I've got a perfect life lovely girlfriend, lovely, lovely life, lovely job, but you never think it's going to happen to you. But as, as you see, it, it can. It can happen to anyone, any age. 
So what is the treatment plan that the, the healthcare professionals have laid out for you? What's your, what's your roadmap then to, um, to fighting this? Yeah, so what I've been told is there's four, can be four lots of chemo, chemotherapy, um, which I've done my first slot. Um, in between those, they'll be doing scans to check if it's getting smaller in size, if it's racked and well to it. If it's all going to plan, it's wrapped and well, it's shrinking, it's coming away from the, all the uh, veins and the nerves and stuff, then if they think it's a suitable size, they will uh, operate it and they have, they have shoulder specialists. And yeah, they'll, they'll be operating it um, if they think it's a suitable size to operate on because that's their reason for using chemotherapy because they want to shrink it to get it away from the, the vital nerves and um veins and have they given you an idea i mean obviously they've mentioned you mentioned there four lots of chemotherapy have you have you got yeah. a time scale for when um when you might be when you might be able to go for the for the operation yeah so the chemotherapy is um what i'm on is uh three four days um with a day of resting after in hospital with going home for two and a half weeks to rest so i've done my first lot um, second lot is tomorrow. My third lot is the middle of February, and my fourth lot will be maybe start of March, middle of March. So, hopefully, if all goes to plan, chemotherapy will be finished by the end of March, and then they'll start to have a look at when they can operate on it. And I mean, I know I appreciate there's a, there's a long road ahead of you. I mean, have you got? You, you mentioned obviously you are twenty years old. You are. Yeah. Um, um, uh, with, with the exception of obviously of this condition in, in good physical health. How long will it take for you to overcome the, the, you know, the physical scars of this and, 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 and get back to some form of normal life? So this is a question that I, I asked the physiotherapy, which um, they have in South Mead. Um, and she said it could take whatever time. It's not, there's not a, a limit on it. It just depends on how well I react to it how well they operate on it um and how quickly i can get back to fitness and um the strength in my arm after it so there isn't a um kind of specific time on how long it will last but um yeah hopefully i can beat it and get back to well normal life that's what i want for want now it's just normal life and not asking for anything else <laughs> And, and that normal life for you has always been part of Portishead Town Football Club. I mean, you know, for, for the rest of the world, we are waiting with bated breath to see when, you know, the coronavirus restrictions will, will be lifted. But for you, yeah. how important yeah. is the opportunity to play for Portishead again as part of your recovery? Oh, um, the, f the first time I'll be able to step back on a football pitch will be the most emotional for me. Um, Porter's Ed have been amazing my whole life. Well, I've played for them since I was six years old. Obviously, I've had different stints at different clubs, but I've always had Porter's Ed in my heart when I'm playing football. Um, and what they've, the support they've given me during this has been just unbelievable. Um, and everything they've had, they've set up and they set up the GoFundMe page and everything. It's, it's truly been amazing and yeah I can't wait to get, get back on that pitch and playing for them um it'll be it'll be amazing I can't see myself really playing for anyone else at the moment 
Well, we're going to have a little chat about the GoFundMe page and also the, you know, the the, the efforts that Pordis Head have have gone to to promote the situation that you you find yourself in and to support you. But yeah. I mean, you know, the other the elephant in the room at the moment is obviously the the, the coronavirus. Now, we yeah. hear about the pressure daily on the NHS. How has the pandemic affected your treatment? I wouldn't say it's affected it really. They've yes, there's restrictions with. Um, Obviously, my mum or any visitors can't come in um, when I'm having treatment, which is really hard. Um, and, yeah, there's restrictions whilst you're in there, but they're doing their best. I cannot fault them. It's, it's, it's really amazing. It's really, really opened my eyes on how amazing the NHS and the treatment is. It's, it's really, really incredible. Um, and their job is hard anyway let alone with all of this going on and I can see it it's it's really hard for them but yeah fair play to them it's it's hasn't affected them as people there and they yeah they keep going and it didn't it didn't affect your prognosis by the sound of it and it also hasn't impacted on your treatment there haven't been missed appointments or you know any of that no not at all there's been a couple um online appointments so video appointments which is fine with me because it, it would only mean I'd have to drive there anyway. But that, no, they haven't missed any appointments. They've been really amazing. Excellent. Well, that's fantastic news. Now, um, let's talk about this um, this fundraising page then that's um, that's been set up. I mean, it's uh, it's an ambitious it's an ambitious target. Um, yeah. uh, the amount of money you want to raise. Just tell us a little bit about the thinking behind. Um, um, not only tell us the target for a start, but 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 yeah. obviously the thinking behind it. Yeah, so we, um, I really wanted to raise awareness and to raise money for the charities that have already been amazing to me. And so it's only been a month. I've already been amazing to me, and the support they've given me has been amazing. So we we set off a target of twenty thousand, which we thought at the time was very very ambitious, but we hit it within forty eight hours, which is just incredible. I can generally could not believe it. Um, and the support has just been amazing. So we've um, boosted the target up to 50,000, um, which again is very, it's going to be very ambitious, but we have got a lot of fundraising set up and yeah, we, we, we feel like we, we're going to hit it. We're at 26,000 at the moment, but there's, yeah, it's, it's going to help. Uh, it's going to help me as well because it will, in a, there will be a few months where I won't be able to work and I'll be on um, a statutory sick pay, which isn't going to cover kind of my bills and stuff like that. But in, like the biggest thing for me is it's going to really, really help the charities that, that I put down. And um, which charities are those, Nathan? So I've got um, Sarcoma UK and the Teenage Cancer Trust. So when I go into hospital, I've got a a member of the Teenage Cancer Trust who comes in um, every day for half an hour and chats to me, sees, uh, asks, because they know that like, I can't have any visitors there. They know that I'm lonely. They come and check and see if I'm okay, if I want anything, any food, any games, and they, they're literally amazing. It's, it's crazy. And we'll, we'll, we'll give this again, um, but can you give yeah. listeners an idea of where they can find the, your, your fundraising page? Yes, so uh, if you go on to any of the Portishead Twitter pages or Facebook pages, um, 
you'll find it. Or if you go on the internet, you can find if you put in GoFundMe and put in my name, Nathan Truman, you'll you'll find it. It's or Team Truman. There's many ways you can find it. Uh, and it's not just been Portishead, has it, that have got behind your efforts to raise money for these worthy charities. Um, you've had support yeah. from across the Western League. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's been amazing. I've seen a, a couple of days ago, Radstock Town, who I've played quite a few times. I remember playing them. There was the last game this, of the, that I played in was Radstock away. And they are doing, uh, as a squad, they're doing 100 miles in one day on the 6th of Feb which is, as a squad, which is amazing. Um, yeah, it's this, the support I've had from all, all the clubs. I've seen donations from different clubs in the league. It's, it's, yeah, really inspiring. And, yeah, I can't wait to get playing and um, showing my gratitude to them. Now, I know this is a very difficult time for you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us um, on this interview. But um, uh, I know you're not going through this alone. So... Uh, I think there there are some very special people that you'd like to say a few words for. Yeah, definitely. Um, so massive, really massive thanks to um, Eamon Daly, uh, Husey and Dave Hewitt, who are the um, coaches at Portishead. Um, they have been incredible. Um, Husey and Husey's girlfriend, Sophie, have um, set up they're the ones that set up the GoFundMe page and have been promoting it and setting up a Facebook page. Um, they've, yeah, they've been amazing. And cause it relieves the, it relieves the stress of me being, and I can just focus on my recovery and whilst I'm in hospital. And also I want to say massive thanks to my um, family. So my mum and my brothers who've been here alongside me when I've can't get out of bed, they've been, even bringing me the food, drink, everything, and just, yeah. And also my girlfriend, Ella, as well, who's been incredible. She's picked me up when I'm at my lowest point. Um, she makes the hard days easier. But, um, yeah, those are the main people I'd love to say thank you. But also to everyone else who's even donated or shared or anything. It's just thank you. Literally, thank you so much. It's, yeah, really emotional. And thank you. Well, it's our pleasure to have you on, um, Nathan. Um, obviously, you know, there's a long road ahead, um, but um, not only with your own recovery, but also the fundraising efforts that you hope for those fantastic charities, as well as the financial support that I know you're going to need in the coming months. I mean, um, w will, you be, will you be able to join us again on the, uh, on the podcast? Yeah, definitely. I'd, lo I'd love to um, uh, show my progress and let everyone know how, how I'm doing. And um, yeah, definitely I'll, be happy to do that. It'll be brilliant. And my thanks to Nathan for his time. Be best wishes for him in his ongoing treatment. As you heard in that interview, we will be speaking um, to Nathan again to get an update on his progress. Um, he did mention the GoFundMe page um, that um, uh, that that uh, he's using to collect the money um, for those charities. And um, GoFundMe is a very easy website to find uh, on the internet. And if you go to GoFundMe, there is a search engine there that all you've got to do is type in Nathan Truman, and um, he's he's uh, he's at the top of the list. So uh, we will be tweeting out the link as well with the podcast. Um, but um, hopefully, there's it should be very easy to um, to find um, to find that uh, that web page and uh, and to support what Nathan and uh, and his colleagues at. Portishead are doing so that's um that's excellent stuff
If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a tool station near you. Now, Jim, um, we move on to uh, the uh, well. You're part of the uh, you're part of the podcast, which is James Healy's week on Twitter, uh, and uh, I think it would be fair to say that it was all quiet on the Western Front. Pretty much, yeah. I think this could be the shortest uh, shortest segment of the podcast yet. It's, um, it's been a quiet week, actually. So it's. Um... Few clubs have carried on from what they were, as we mentioned last week, that we encountered with their team in Bridgewater pushing their walk and uh, marathons, 50 marathons in, in 24 hours. Uh, but one that stood out for me this week was uh, Warminster Town, who have set up a like a GoFundMe page as well um, for their walk that they're doing, or say walk, I, th- I think most of them will be running, hopefully. Uh, so the whole club's involved, so it's the first team, the reserves and their ladies team, and they're planning on running the distance from Warminster uh, to the camp new in Barcelona, which is a thousand miles. So uh, I think maybe you, me and you should get involved in this one, Ian. Um, oh basically, they're raising money for the Warminster Food Bank, um, which is obviously a worthwhile cause. So yeah, fair play to them. Thousand miles. Uh, not sure how many are involved in it, but it's that's uh, quite a distance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, no, that's I mean, it's fantastic. Obviously, the, the uh, you know Warminster is a club. Of course, we talk about them regularly on the podcast, uh, and I think you know those local food banks such an important um, uh, charity, particularly at this time when so people are, you know so many people are suffering financially from um, the impact of the coronavirus. I mean, I know uh, we promoted a food bank collection up at Radstock Town. Uh, a few weeks ago uh, so um, certainly great to see um, our club supporting local charities I mean you know on on the on the social media front Jim I mean it's we, we do feel like we're in a very strange time at the moment don't we because you know we've got absolutely no idea when we're going to be kicking a football again so trying to keep social media for our clubs and our fans relevant is 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 really difficult at the moment it is because you people look at our Twitter and social feeds I think if you look at our stats on a Saturday, obviously they're uh, they're huge because people are looking looking for the scores and the results. And without games being played midweek and on a Saturday, it's, uh, it's difficult to to find stuff to to keep people engaged. But our unsung heroes are are going down really well at the moment. Um, so our engagements on a we're trying to put them out on a Wednesday and a Saturday keeps people a little bit interested in in what we're trying to do. But yeah, as you say, it's, it's very quiet at the moment. Uh, this isn't just a phenomenon that affects non-league um, um, social media accounts, is it? From your days in the in the professional game, uh, closed season was always a difficult time for clubs to to continue to engage with their supporters. It was, yeah. I mean, when I was working down at the Oval, we were really scratching around. Players were all on holiday, the managers away, so you got no one to speak to. Uh, so we did a, a, a thread on the grass growing on the pitch. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what we resorted to. So we'd take a picture pretty much each day of the grass growth. But actually, people quite enjoyed it, surprisingly. 
<laughs> well, there you go. Um, right then. Now, from going back to your Yeovil days, uh, Jim, you will have, um, of course, remembered um, Martin McConaughey, the uh, um, the club secretary at um, Hengrove. We'll have a little chat about Martin, your recollections of Martin after the interview. But um, Martin is a very experienced football administrator. He's also got a fascinating other role in the game um, with Opta. And, um, and, and, and really plenty to talk about with Martin, particularly given the current hiatus and how that affects clubs, not just in terms of what fans and players wanting to get back out playing again, but also the nuts and bolts, the everyday running of the clubs, uh, which is something that Martin is you know, very much involved with at, uh, at Hengrove. So um, I started off my interview with him by asking how he's been keeping himself busy during lockdown. It's been quite easy, really. Um, I've, I've done like everybody else has done and got all the jobs ticked off their list of jobs that was never going to be completed without a pandemic. Um, I've got my way through um, most of the house jobs. Um, decorating is not my strong point, so I haven't got to that bit yet. But um, I'm quite lucky and I'm still getting to watch football regularly through my job. But um, I must admit, there's a big hole at the moment where football administration is concerned. I don't seem to have very much to do it at all. Football administration is where I wanted to take it because I know you've been a club secretary at two different clubs and you've been for, for a total of seven years. So you've got plenty of experience in the role. I mean, you know, if we look at where we are at the moment, how do you feel that the FA has handled the sort of the coronavirus interruptions? I think communication has been questionable at times. I think it's, it's always very difficult when there's uh, three people in a relationship, not I'm speaking from personal experience, but you've got the FA and you've got the government and you've got football, uh, the clubs. And at times, I think that relationship has been quite strained. Uh, communication between the FA and the government, between the FA and the clubs and the clubs and the government. And everyone that's been involved with football could probably put their finger on something that the FA haven't achieved correctly. But at the end of the day, they're all they're all just people like you and I, and they have only 24 hours a day. I, I don't know really what else they could have done. I mean, do you think enough was learnt from what happened in March last year? Um, or do you think perhaps we've all been a bit guilty of being overly optimistic? You know, when we got the opportunity to start this season, do you think we're all a little bit too quick off the mark to sort of grab it with both hands? I think Yes, possibly. I think there's been an elephant, uh, an element even of hindsight um, in that, in March last year, that's coming up 12 months now, um, nobody really knew when it was all over. I mean, it could have been over in three months and it could have been, you know, we'd be back to normal now. But I think where it went wrong was that there wasn't plans for what to happen if it, re it reoccurred again this year. And that's exactly what's happened, I'm afraid. Personally, I, I would have liked to have seen last season put on hold and then carried on into this year. So you had a, a 2020, uh, sorry, 2019 to 2021 season. And I think the number of games played since the first lockdown added on to last season would have made a whole season, if that makes sense. Uh, I think that would have been preferable. But um, I think there has been a, an awful lot of over-optimistic or over-optimism in, in all of this, I think, yes. I mean, we do know, obviously, that the FA have just uh, consulted with all clubs as to how they want this season to conclude. I mean, um, uh, are you able to share with us how how Hengrove um, chose to respond to that? Sure. Um, we we looked at it several with several ways. Um, 
we're obviously a club at the moment. We sit in 15th position in the league. So I think we can look at it quite um, without the spectre of promotion or relegation clouding our uh, thoughts on this matter. Looking forward, I think uh, we were all pretty much in agreement that null and void would be the way to go. I think there is one or two voices that said, well, maybe we should just pause again and go for next season. I think the, the major difference this season will be the vaccine. Obviously, the vaccine's going seems to be going really well at the moment. And I think there is a... I don't think I've been overly optimistic to say I think the season would be all right to, to start in August, as in with a normal season. So I don't think we had that certainty last year. Um, so I, I we we chose to go down the null and void route, but we will accept whatever the FA gives to us. I mean, look, looking ahead to next season, do, do you think that there are lessons that can be learnt um, if we are able to get back underway in August? I mean, are there things that you would like to see the FA put in place just in case we have more interruptions, say, next winter? That's a difficult one. I mean, I think they have to put in a, a definitive amount of games that you have to play if you're going down points per game. I think um, at the moment, points per game would be a nonsense. I mean, at Hangrove, we played nine matches out of 38. That's less than 25%. You couldn't do a league table based on that. Um, I think they sort of went along that route this year by saying what would happen if we don't start until September and then October and then November. I think really, yes, they could do that again and make it concrete so that everybody 100% knows where they stand in August. I think what most clubs have found is that this season, the goalposts seem to have moved a little bit. And that comes from not having plans in place before this current season started, which I admit is really difficult to do. I mean, as a, from a volunteer's perspective, um, you know, has it been difficult for you and the other supporters at Hengrove, you know, looking back on the efforts that the club made in order to get games played safely um you know is it difficult for you to sort of look look back on that and, and ask the question you know what was it all for if actually we end up just voiding another season if that's if that happens i think <clears throat> you have to have a bigger hat on you have to think about volunteers being there like many other clubs our volunteers are well i'm one of the younger volunteers there at 52 there are other volunteers in their 70s who haven't been at the club for nine or ten months now um, yes, we obviously were like other clubs. We wanted to play matches when when we weren't in lockdown and we made an awful lot of adjustments to the clubhouse and to our match day routine in order to um, to do that. And yes, in a way, it would do. But I think you have to be a little bit circumspect and say, you know, if we could start next season with a, a fresh, maybe that should be the way we go. Um I've seen adding together last season and this season's points and doing that. But for me, that's ridiculous because you can play some difficult teams three times and other teams haven't played those teams once. I, I just think that's a nonsense, really. Um, I think the only other way, if you're not going to null and void it, is to, to, um, to pause the season and then restart in August, maybe play the remainder of this season and chuck in the Les Phillips Cup next season as after Christmas, if you if you do have a, a lucky autumn and winter with weather, whether whether that's a possibility. I mean, another thing that people haven't thought about maybe is that many of the weekends since we've been in lockdown, we wouldn't have played anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we would have had a Saturday game on at Hengrove since Christmas because 
frost, snow, waterlogged pitch. Absolutely. I mean, well, let's talk about Hengrove um, because, um, I mean, it's been, you know, it's not, it's been a difficult season for lots of reasons. And I suppose one of them is the fact that you haven't actually had a game since November the 3rd. No, but on the positive side, that's the longest unbeaten run we've had for, for several <laughs> years since we got promoted last time, I think. Yes, obviously, that's a major hit for the revenue. Um, as someone who whose role at the club is secretary, media and commercial, it's been the, certainly the most challenging of those seven years that I've had. You know, I've constantly done programmes for match days that haven't gone anywhere, haven't seen the light of day. Commercial side, it's very difficult to go out and sell advertising boards and adverts in programmes that might not exist. As far as the secretary side of it, um, that's slowed down the, the tool station league side of it, if you like. Um, we're not signing players. We're not filling out administration online. So that side of it is not is not so bad. But um, it's it has been a shame this year. And I've, I feel sorry amongst it all. I feel sorry for the players as well. I mean that last match you did have was a, was quite a heavy defeat to Welton Rovers and um I mean mm. I don't I don't mind admitting as much as I'm fond of Welton Rovers I didn't expect them to be doing as well as they they did this season so I mean if you can cast your mind all that all that way back I mean what did you make of them on the day Oh I think they were they were spectacular I mean they they played really well they they finished their chances they were clinical um we had a <laughs> we had a bit of an unfortunate floodlight failure with half an hour to go which um to the outsider might have looked like a bit of um, a gamesmanship, if you like, but thankfully the, the lights went out all over South Bristol. So that, that was unfortunate. And I think um, Welton, if that game hadn't finished, it would have been a travesty for Welton. They, they were fully deserving of the three points on the night and and 5-1 is probably a fair scoreline. There were better results for you, um, certainly, you know, uh, this season. You've got a draw away at Ashton Backwell and, and uh, uh, you know, they're excited. I would expect to be doing well. Uh, and then you had a good run of uh, wins against Portishead, Oldland and Bishop Sutton. So it's not all been bad, is it? No, it hasn't. I mean, the Bishop Sutton one was, again, a little bit unfortunate. We started the season back in the sunny September and that game, the first game was abandoned because of a broken leg to a Bishop Sutton player. Uh, they were 4-1 up, very much like the Welton game. They were clear of us on the day. Um, it was abandoned due to the unfortunate injury. And when when it was replayed in midweek, we were as dominant as they had been in the first game. So uh, Portishead was a good win. Uh, Ashton and Batwell was a very good point down there. It's always a tough place to uh, to pick up a point. Uh, Oldland was obviously um, personally a pleasurable one because I could walk around there for starters. Um <laughs> But it's 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 been I think 2020 as a whole. If you join the two seasons together, I think we we had a really good 2020. I think we must have won nearly half our matches, which will get you top eight. I would I would imagine come the end of the season. But it's just sad, really, that it's it's almost certainly going to be for nothing. But it it does bode well for the future. I mean, are you when we do get to start and hopefully complete a season again? I mean, where do you expect to see Hengrove? Well, I think. Um, the back end of last season, as I said, I think we were about seventh or eighth. And if you join the two seasons together, about the same. I think um, top half. I think the, the first null and void season, we finished 14th. But that was more to do with the way we started the season. I think um, Devizes handed us a beating. I think Lydiard uh, beat us 7-0 on opening day. I mean, that was a an awful start to the season. Um, and the second half of the season form turned it around a little bit. 
I, w- I would think that there's the top four or however many go up. And then you've got a group of maybe five or six clubs that will flirt with what would be playoffs in any other division. And I think we, we should count ourselves as one of those clubs for sure. Well, let's um, talk a little bit about your interests outside of the of the Western League. I understand that you work for Opta. Can you tell us a bit about your role for them? For sure. Um, I've been with Opta now for three and a half years. We go to games at levels from the Premier League down to EFL 2, all the Scottish leagues and the Women's Super League as well. And every Opta match has got two people in the office covering the match, usually on on a screen. Uh, And my job as an in-ground analyst is to actually go to the game and call these events happening in real time for statistical reasons for the clubs. The clubs um, usually invest in our services and also for betting um, companies as well. And I've been doing that for three and a half years now. Started with the Oval Town ladies, but unfortunately they got relegated into the championship. So Opta don't cover them. I'm now at Bristol City, uh, first team and women's team. And I also pick up uh, games elsewhere, Bristol being good for transport links. I go to Forest Green, Newport, Swindon, Reading. Uh, I've done about 140 games in the last three and a half years with them. So when you're calling the events in real time, is that like is that almost like a, a commentary or is it is it a, is it a special type of, of analysis that you're doing? Um, there's two levels. The first level is when it's, it's too simplistic to say, but it's when the other two people in the office can see the game. So that would be the higher levels, Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. I will give them advance warning because there's something called latency, which is a gap between when something happens and when you see it on your TV. That can be three or four seconds. So I'm calling those events so they're literally a second after it happens, they know there's been a goal, Mm -hmm. bang. The other level is when they haven't got cameras there. That is more like a commentary. So I'm saying where the ball's gone out, who's taken the throw in, when there's a corner, who's conceded it, in which zone. The I have a zone grid, which is uh, about 36 squares. I have to say where the throw in's taken from, where it goes to. Uh, I must be a nightmare to sit next to it again because I'm constantly uh, talking. On those games, though, there's not so many people going to them, so you can find a, a spare bit of field and, and talk to your heart's content then. I mean, have you ever found yourself doing the same thing at a Tool Station Western League game? No. <laughs> well, I've, I've found myself talking too much at a Western League game, but I've not found myself doing the um, the Opta stuff. But you you can't help. When I started, I did kind of have a practice a couple of times where I was saying the, the ball's gone out in zone 21, throw into blue two, and, and, and that's kind of what you're doing. But it's a serious side to it because stats are very important for um, tracking players and and such like one of the stats that of course people will be very familiar with is pass completion because i know this is one that gets analysts very um some people think it's a complete yeah. waste of time and other people think it's the be all and end all well I, i'm assuming that you can't uh, describe every single pass whether it was completed or uncompleted and who made it so ha- how do opt to how do opt to manage manage that side of the process well that would be done by the people in the office that's that's taken out of my hands completely so they'll watch the game Generally, the people in the office will watch the same team every week, which gives them a little bit of a heads up on, you know, um, formation and what a player will do. That will be more 
the office and they'll they'll watch the game back afterwards as well. So you will see that um, somebody has had, uh, say, 96 touches or 96 passes and 95 of them have been to the right person. I mean, that might be a pass of three yards, you know, between me and my computer here, or it might be a, a 50 yard ball. It, it doesn't discriminate between the two. So that sort of stat is, I think most people realise has, has got its um, foibles, but um, it's not me. It would be that that would be somebody in the office. And of course, the lower down levels, I cover a lot of under 23s and under 18 games. The only filming that will be done will be by the club analyst. So uh, we don't go into that intense detail as quite as much on academy games. Um, I mean, obviously, working around um, footballing statistics, um, I would imagine that makes you quite adept at fantasy football. Well, you think so? <laughs> I'm, um, I'm guessing you're, you're considering my my current lofty position in the um, fantasy Premier League. Well, I'm, I might be. Yes, I mean, can you mm. t- tell us a little bit about that? Because obviously, f- fantasy football is something that I know a lot of fans take a lot of interest in. And if you're anything like me, it's a bit like the diet after Christmas. It's a sort of, you managed it for two weeks. The whole thing becomes a complete nightmare, and you jack it in. But I understand that you have got quite an illustrious track record. Well, it's an illustrious track record that only started in September, and. <clears throat> <laughs> um, I played for the last eight years with my two sons, and I think the highest I've come is is around about three hundred thousand, which in eight sort of seven million is is quite an achievement. But this year, every time I've tried to do something, it's come off. Up until the last two weeks, <clears throat> when the only thing that's come off is the wheels. Um, but two weeks ago, I was um, inside the top four hundred in the world, which out of eight million people this year, and. Um, I, I must admit, I was starting to look up and think, how can I get a bit higher? And I've started chasing it the last couple of weeks instead of being natural at it. And I've gone down, I'm about 1,200 in the world now, which is still in the top 0.001%. But I, I'm a little bit disappointed with that, I'll be honest. And my thanks to Martin for his time. Now, um, Jim. Uh, of course, you work with Martin and uh, you've known him for, for, for many years. Have we got any embarrassing anecdotes that we can regale the listeners with? I know that he once, uh, it was Chesterfield at home, uh, Nathan Jones, who's now the Luton Town manager, left back, not really known for scoring many goals. He scored an absolute worldie against Chesterfield. He's ran over celebrating and Martin was walking along the side of the pitch grabbed hold of Nathan Jones to celebrate with him. And obviously, you can't celebrate with fans, can you? So, uh, yeah, Martin hugged him, and out come the yellow card for Jones for celebrating with him. (laughs) So I don't know if Martin had to pay his fine or what, but, yeah. (laughs) He grabbed Nathan Jones, grabbed him in, pulled him into the crowd to give him a cuddle, and, uh, yeah, out come the yellow card for him. I mean, Yeovil wasn't one of the areas we touched upon in the interview. What was Martin's role at the club? Uh, all sorts. He was such a great help as, as in the media office. So he would write for the programme, stats. On a match day, he would do the match reports for the club website, uh, articles in the programme, pretty much anything you wanted him to do, really. You you know, if you if you wanted some stats on a player, uh, even if it was Yeovil or opposition, then uh, Martin was your man. Such a great help. Still is now, really, with what we're doing with the Western League stuff, if uh, if ever I need to know anything, uh, it's either coming to yourself or uh, Martin is uh, is the next port of call because what he doesn't know isn't worth knowing, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think many people across the league um, will know Martin um, for that reason. Very, you know, very experienced and helpful individual. So uh, it's really a real pleasure to have a chat with him about, um, you know, his thoughts on the game at the moment. Um, before we go, I um, was inspired by our efforts with um, uh, with Phil Alford the other day, uh, not just in not just in relation to, of course, the John Attio um, story, but also um, uh, the, uh, the research into uh, Phil's own dad, um, Wilfred. Uh, who, uh, of course, we discussed in that interview had signed for Portsmouth Football Club. And it got me thinking that we really could be doing uh, on the podcast a uh, a Western League version of Who Do You Think You Are? So if any listeners out there have got any relatives who, you know, back in the day played for uh, uh, one of the big clubs, uh, then um, then please get in touch and we'll see if we can do a little bit of digging to find out something that you didn't necessarily know about your uh, your favorite your favorite uh, your famous relative so um so that's a little idea i had inspired by my chat with with phil um jim always a pleasure thank you very much for your time hopefully um there'll be a little bit more social media engagement over the coming week we'll have a bit of a we'll have a longer segment from you next week yeah we'll try and create some gossip somewhere shall we fake news as trump says and we'll make that up and see what we can get trending my god um we're really we really well if if all else fails jim we can always start taking pictures of the grass growing can't we i suppose <laughs> That's um, true. yeah anyway jape thank you very much for your time and thank you listeners for listening to this week's tool station Western League podcast